Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Think, Therefore I Fan, a pop culture and philosophy podcast. On this podcast, we'll explore the most compelling philosophical themes as we find them in all of everyone's favorite fandoms. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Richard Green. And I'm Dr. Rachel Robison Green. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. So, we're here finally at the end of season eight. We kind of had a long break between the last episode and this one. It's taken us a while to get here. We're, we decided to be on kind of a relaxed schedule because we've had so much going on that we're just going to try to produce. We decided to try to produce them as we can. Yeah. And, and by relaxed schedule, we mean in between the last episodes, um, finished a book we've been working on for years. <laughs> yeah, and... I mean, relaxed with regard to not thinking of ourselves as on a fixed time frame with the podcast. Right. But we'll be back in, um, you know, a few months with season nine and presumably back on our every other week schedule. But we always reserve the right to do this whenever the heck we want. Yeah, so but. thanks for being patient with us. Okay. So um, it, it seems like it's been kind of a long time between this episode and the last one. But I wouldn't say it's been an eternity. <laughs> Just just a few weeks. Oh my gosh, speaking of eternity, <laughs> what are we talking about this Today week? Today we're going to talk about immortality, which is a concept that's come up a couple of different times through the, throughout the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've done episodes for Halloween on uh, vampires and uh, zombies and things. And we, I, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about death and, and some issues related to immortality so it's there'll be some co- some familiar themes but hopefully we'll go in different directions different directions yeah and then we did those religious episodes at the end of season two um mm-hmm. but i don't know if it came up or not but mm-hmm. you know for me um the the only reason for being religious is the immortality deal um, <laughs> but um you know or some some variation thereof okay so what what do, what do we want to say about it well, the first question we might ask ourselves is, what, do you, what, is it, what even is immortality? When we, when we talk about a character in a book or a television show or a movie being immortal, what do we mean? Mm-hmm. I mean technically, we mean, or I guess my understanding of the literal sense of that term is that the, uh, it's something that's immortal can't die. Yeah, so what we ought to mean, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so when, when I first learned about immortality... Um, I mean, I'm not talking about when I first heard the concept, but sort of the first philosophical dive into it. It was a lecture on the the difference between being eternal and immortal, Mm. right? And so Mm -hmm. the the way it got cashed out is the eternal thing exists at all times. Mm -hmm. The -hmm. immortal thing may start existing at some point in time and there, um, you know, with there being a time prior to that when it didn't exist. Mm -hmm. But from that point on, once it starts existing, it would always exist. It has a start point, but no end point. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so that's, that's consistent with that, but not consistent necessarily with what we get in, in pop culture. Right. So in pop culture, we frequently get this picture of immortality. Not that such a not can the being, it's not the case that the being never dies. It's that there can only die in certain ways. So a vampire can die by, you know, being stabbed in the heart with a, a wooden stake or can have their head chopped off. 
Uh, and so in that sense, the, the vampire's not immortal. It can die. Right, right. So, um, you know, how's that different from human beings, right? Human beings are going to die. Um, something's going to cause the death. Vampires are going to die something or can die. Something could cause the death. And and maybe one way to cash out the difference is a vampire's immortal in the sense that if certain things didn't happen, for example, a stake through the heart or being exposed to, um, you know, a certain amount of sunlight and so forth, um, it would just go on for forever. But human beings... In like con- its body would never wear down. Its organs yeah. would never stop working. Or they already have stopped working. That's true. Right. And then the contrast with human beings is um, we will all die someday, um, even if nothing intervenes, um, you know, to bring about nobody, you know, shoots us or runs us over with a bus. Um, just the, the, the way we're constructed, mm-hmm. um, eventually our hearts won't, you know, pump blood anymore. Um, our, you know, brains won't do the things that the brains do. There are changes at the cellular level too. Mm-hmm. That just, right. Yeah. We're, we're just, you know, we, we start out and then we start wearing out. Um, now that's not to say that, you know, we can't replace every part of us with artificial parts and all that. And that's a, you know, whole different Personal identity issue. That identity and philosophy our, of mind. Our listeners are quite familiar with at this point. Yeah. So now we have this, this idea, this, you know, this, this vampire type idea of something, um, yeah, zombies might be the same way, right? That um, on certain conceptions, that they're immortal if nothing gets them, right? <laughs> and that's that's kind of a weird kind of immortality. Yeah, but it's yeah. useful um, yeah. because it, yeah. they they still are in important metaphysical ways, different from dogs and cats and humans and right and other things that are that are just designed to to stop working. Right. We're like Samsung TVs. Um, <laughs> I've, I've had more than one. Except for we last considerably longer. Yeah, considerably longer and still in the scheme of things. Um, you know, um, I had this um, television that my parents gave me and they got it um, as a wedding gift. And so, you know, it was um, they got it just you know slightly before I was born. And I, I had it, um, it was our family TV and then they got a better one and it was in my room. And I think I stopped using it um, when I was about 20, but it didn't break. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, I, I got to be a certain age where I thought, I don't need a black and white Zenith <laughs> television from 1959. <laughs> I can have color, right? Um, that thing was never going to kick out. But... Yeah. So, you know, as the metaphor goes, that's the, the zombie or vampire <laughs> of, of televisions. <laughs> they don't make them like they used to. Oh, they sure don't. You might also ask, uh, <laughs> When you, we talk about immortality too, the immortality of what? You know, so what we've just been describing is an immortality of the body. The body isn't going to wear down. But then I guess the majority of the world believes that human beings are in, immortal insofar as who we are and our essence are our soul is our, is our soul right. and our soul is immortal. Yeah. Although interestingly, they, they tend to not characterize it that way. They talk mm-hmm. about, oh, you know, Uncle Ned died and now mm-hmm. he's... Mm-hmm. In a better mm-hmm. place. Um, yeah. So, what do we what do we mean when we say that a, that to be immortal is to never die, or some version of that? Um, do we mean that our body never dies? I mean, that is how we tend to conceive of it in popular culture. Is when we say a being is immortal, it means that their body never dies. That it doesn't it doesn't have yeah. physical body death. But then sometimes we mean, and in in the religious sense, people frequently mean that when someone's immortal, it means that who they are as a person will never cease to exist. Mm-hmm. 
which actually is a, a much a, a much bolder metaphysical claim, I think, you know, right, because right. because uh, you've got this whole question of persistence through time and change. And if if you're immortal, golly, we'll talk about this. But if you're immortal, you're you're going to uh, there's going to be an infinite period of time for you to change or you won't change, in which case, yuck. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that view sort of tends to rule out the idea that um one might change if one undergoes enough sort of substantive psychological changes, right? Mm-hmm. That you're, you're still always exactly the same. Um, and then, you know, you think of, just to bring a little pop culture, you know, movies like um, Regarding Henry, you know, with, with mm-hmm. Harrison Ford. So that's a, a story of um, this guy. He's a, you know, a New York um, lawyer. He's, you know, they show him in a trial and he's, you know, this kind of cutthroat guy hides some evidence, um, blocks somebody's malpractice suit, makes millions of dollars. Um, his daughter doesn't like him. His wife doesn't like him. The maid doesn't like him. Um, he goes out and he gets shot in the head. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially he has to you know, start over. He has to learn to talk and learn to walk and all this. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems like he's fundamentally changed, right? He, um, he doesn't remember not being friends with his daughter, but becomes best friends with her and, mm-hmm. and all of that. So on the, on the view that we're sort of describing, um, you'd have to say, no, that, that's the same, right? And, and in one metaphysical sense, sure, it's the same thing and it, it changed. But there's this very important, you know, this person is changed. And not in the way that, you know, somebody who's grumpy learns to be less grumpy over time. But mm-hmm. I mean, this this person's, completely transformed mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. about that you know their their taste and art are different mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. he has this fancy dining room table that he hates when he's a jerk and then he comes home and goes cool table you know mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. supposed to symbolize you know it's, a, it's an entire change mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so what you were just saying connects up with this other question which we picked up in the podcast before but i want to take in some different directions today this question of whether immortality is desirable so we were talking about change and uh, what kinds of fundamental level changes would, you know, could upset personal identity, mm-hmm. right? Um, in regarding Henry, is the character the same person when he's an entirely new person? So we've talked in the past about Bernard Williams' view that if we'd lived forever, either we would inevitably become bored or when faced with an infinite period of time and change, we would inevitably become a different person because our, we'd change so significantly. And just um, quickly, the, sort of the further part yeah. of that is, if you're if you're a different person, it makes no sense to desire that person's interests look coming for, true. Right. And, Look forward to their experiences and, as your own, and so forth. So either way, immortality on, on William's view mm-hmm. is bad. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to be bored, or you're desiring somebody else's right. sort of future goodness. So is that right? Well. Um, one thinker that I was thinking about on this is is Nietzsche, right? Who think who seems to think, uh, and I'm not a Nietzsche scholar, but what I've read from Nietzsche on death se- seems to think that uh, one not not to live too long, right? That you sh- that that one should live for this life, in the sense that one is constantly making choices that they can affirm and that they. would be willing to make over and over again if mm-hmm. you know the doctrine of eternal return mm-hmm. if you're yeah. if you're given this choice to to live life exactly as you have lived it over and over and over again would that be a blessing or would that be be terrible and then and then when we die it should be this celebration 
right? Instead of having death be something to be dreaded, we should live, we should affirm this life enough that we make every choice that, that we would you know, ideally want to make um, as a creative force for this life and then, and then die at a point um, you know, where we're not deteriorating and becoming weaker or whatever. We're, yeah, I mean, that, it's a good point. Um, first, I just want to say some people think Nietzsche lived just a little too long. No, right. Uh, but <laughs> right. Put, putting that aside, um, I, I think the, the way to understand that is Nietzsche makes a good point given that we are the way we are, right? The mm-hmm. way I described this earlier mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. necessarily deteriorating uh-huh. and so forth. So it's, it's um, you know, an argument for not living forever given that uh, all of us are going to get to the point um, where we can't live in the way that Nietzsche wants us to live. Mm-hmm. But if we were different kinds of beings right. and you could just, you know, you know, life is one Dionysian festival after another mm-hmm. you know Nietzsche's dream day happens mm-hmm. over and over but but it's always sufficiently different that it's new and exciting then maybe you know um maybe immortality is not so bad I mean I, I don't buy William's argument I, I don't know that I think immortality is all that great um but I I, I tend to find most of these arguments that, that say it's not um unconvincing right so Williams has this dichotomy and I don't know why it's bad for me to desire somebody else's things, right? They, this, I mean, students pick up on this a lot. The story you tell is, you know, here you change over time to where you're unrecognizable. Um, so I don't necessarily want that set of things. But what I might want is the process, you know. And if I just mm-hmm. use my own life as experience, um, you know, five-year-old me wanted to be an astronaut. Eight-year-old me probably did too. Nine-year-old me wanted to be a professional baseball player, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. at some point I wanted to be a pop star, um, you know, and then a, a philosopher and all those changes have worked out maybe in part because none of them were very abrupt, you know, it wasn't They're connected just, to each other. Yeah. 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 Through, through a whole right. series of overlapping, right. Think of, right, right. you know, Bickenstein and the, the thread that with all the overlapping parts such that I, I feel like I could have pretty, reasonable confidence in some future that's 500 years from now mm-hmm. that, um, you know, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be good, but whatever desires I have would probably be an outgrowth of the current desires I have, plus the, the positive ways that I might right. change. Right. Um, maybe good, maybe not, but not obviously bad, right? Um, right. You know, so <clears throat> so um, this semester I've, I've mentioned on the podcast that I'm teaching, or I I guess it's not this semester anymore. Last semester, I taught a course on the metaphysics of death, and I used this great book that I recommend, Exploring the Philosophy of Death and Dying, um, by, edited by Travis Timmerman and Michael Chilby. And uh, there are lots of great questions about death and immortality here. One um, thought experiment that comes up um, that I think is it, uh, appropriate for what you just said is um, in this paper, Taking Stock of the Risks of Life Without Death by August Gorman. And the idea is this. Uh, so there's this metaphor that gets used frequently in literature on immortality, which is like um, that life is like a library or something like that. And there, there are only so many books in the library. So life is only open three days a week from three to seven no, now because no, his no, no. <laughs> legislatures won't fund it. Is that, is that what life no, is like? No, no, no. So um, uh, if, if you're thinking of 
your existence as a, as a library full of books. Um, what if it eventually you've read them all? You know, you've read every book that's possible that's ever been written. You know, you've read every book it's possible to read. Uh, the, the, the thought experiment is something like, um, well, what if, what if a therapist, what if you, you, you were, you're experiencing, um, ennui as a result and, uh, you went to a therapist and the therapist said, okay, here, I'm going to give you this pill and this pill will make you forget everything you've read. Um, and then you can just do it again. And then every, so such that every time you've read every book in the library, you take a pill, you forget the contents, you start over. But uh, I'm thinking about the point that you just made, which was um, that you wanted to be different things when you grew up, but that didn't make you a fundamentally different person because those things were connected, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing a, a majority of people would decline to take the pill because it's not the experience of reading the books again that they want to have. It's the, the interconnected losing. relations between... Losing the past self. And yeah. also, what if, what if the pill made you forget how to read? And it, <laughs> you know, have they tested this pill? Is it, I mean, this is like a vaccine thing. I don't... I don't know what's in that, I, you mm -hmm. know, I, I've, I'm sort of vaccine resistant because I think they're going to make me forget to read. You are not vaccine resistant. I know, I'm just just to be clear, I'm, not vaccine resistant. I'm, I'm pretending to be a stupid person, <laughs> which, which isn't that much of a stretch for me. But, but when I pretend to do it, it's, it's noticeably different. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that, I mean, so then, then what's the rub there, right? Um, you, you don't want to take the pill because you don't want to lose the connection. Um, but then you run out of things to read. You read everything in the library over and over and over, but mm -hmm. you're immortal, so we're talking an eternity, mm -hmm. right? At, at some point, you just can't... I tested this out when I was a kid, by the way, right? I mean, I could only watch so many episodes of Gilligan Island, mm -hmm. Gilligan's Island so many times. Mm -hmm. But after about the hundredth time through each one, mm -hmm. there weren't mm -hmm. many shows on in the 60s. Um, I couldn't do it anymore. yeah. Well, there's more than one way of interpreting what Williams meant when he said that you'd inevitably get bored. And maybe that's not the right way to put it because uh, this, you know, obviously this conversation is more um, fundamental than just what Williams said and what Williams didn't say. It's what we should think about this issue or what we shouldn't think about the issue. Yeah. Um, but, but if we're thinking about the question, would you inevitably get bored? Um, one way you can think about that question is, is the world such that it's filled with um, unique experiences such that you could never run out of them? Or is the world limited in the number of experiences you could have? That's one way you could think about the question. Mm -hmm. The other way you, you could think about the question um, is, are human beings the type of beings that can only um, relate to certain things? Right, so that regardless of how many experiences exist out there in the world, any individual human being can only relate to so many of them, right? Like, so I mean, just think about um, think about the kinds of things you seem capable of caring about. I'm sure you can can think of some things in the world that you just can't seem to f to get yourself to care about, even mm -hmm. if you try, you know. Apologies to you, but I find I just can't be interested in football. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we've done fantasy football together and I like really want to, and I don't know what it is, but I just can't. I like, I can't pay attention. No, no, man, it makes perfect sense. It, it's ultimately not all that interesting. Well, I believe that it 
probably is. It just is. It just doesn't spark anything in me. Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. I think I think it falls in the sort of category of things that you maybe get indoctrinated into uh-huh. when you're four, five, uh-huh. six years old, and then you uh-huh. know you you get sucked in. It's like people who watch soap operas their whole life, uh-huh. right? If right. if you manage to get sucked into you know one life to live or whatever, you know when you're ten and you and you watch it for a few years. There's a good chance you'll be one of those people that TiVo it and come home and you just like can't stop. I'm not one of these people who who's like, I just want to be clear. I'm not one of these people who's like a curmudgeon about like, oh, it's time for people to watch sports, you know, and like you always see every time football starts. Like, I no, I like, it seems to me that there there's like a lot of strategy and interesting stuff going on. I just can't find myself interested in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and the same is sort of true with me, and this is just a patience issue for playing instruments. Like, I actually super appreciate the talent involved and the skill involved, but I'm just so bad at it that I can't... I'm so uncoordinated that I just can't... F- I can't focus on it for long enough to get better. But maybe if I were immortal, I would be like, it's time to conquer your klutziness. Yeah, well, since you've offended all the sports fans, <laughs> why, why, don't we, why don't we expand this and say, well, if you're having trouble um, learning an inter- instrument and there's coordination issues and you don't have the attention span, perhaps you could take up the bongos, right? That, that, that's not too hard. You get two little drums and you just hit them. And, I think I can manage. And, and they make about the same sound and, and it gets your frustrations out. And, hey, well, you know, when we and played... And are cool. When we played in bands before together, I've had those little finger symbols. I seem mm-hmm. like I can... Yeah. I, can, I can manage that. Finger so, symbols. Yeah. Start small. So a couple more concerns about immortality. One from Martha Nussbaum uh, is this idea that immortal life would become shapeless. That's how how she puts it. But there's what does that mean? there's different variants on this. So uh, that that. Um, Okay, and the, the, so there are a couple different ways to put this, in, and, and so I don't want to attribute all these to, to Nussbaum. So, but it's something like, if you, w- if you lived forever, you would, and if, and, and if everyone else lived forever too, then you would lose your uniqueness. Okay. So that you would, you know, everybody would have so many of the same overlapping experiences mm-hmm. that we would lose our individuality if what if what if what it is to be an individual is to have a set of unique stories let's say you take like a narrative account of personal identity right then then maybe the only thing that distinguishes you from another person is the time at which your consciousness started or your origin story but at a certain point i mean when you're thinking about immortality because i think that it's really hard to get your mind around um you know at a certain point you know let's say two million years from now is it really going to matter, especially given that, you know, the geography of the, the earth will change and presumably, if we're talking about immortal creatures, we won't even live on earth anymore at that point. We'll be populating some other place. Uh, maybe maybe the place and don't look up. Yeah, right. right That's right, exactly right. what I'm thinking. <laughs> right. Um, we'll have tamed those crazy dinosaur beings. Okay, so you're living in this new place. And uh, in the long run, it's not going to matter um, whether you came from Salt Lake or California two million years ago, right? I mean, it's yeah. just like that's sure that's going to be your origin story. And it's just, I mean, uh, you, you wonder in the expanse of uh, time if the expanse of space will seem to sort of narrow, right? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I get that. Um, my knee jerk reaction is this. 
do we want the hallmark of uniqueness to be lack of experiences, right? So that, that seems like a... a I don't think a, lack a, of experiences, but kind of experiences. Or lack of kinds of experiences, right? That if you have too many different kinds of experiences, you're not unique anymore. Um, then that makes it sound like being unique isn't all that great. Right? Again, mm-hmm. just being the, the defender of immortality, um, mm-hmm. at least for this week. Um, so, you know, you think, well, yeah. I mean, when, when you said um, shapeless, what I thought maybe it was, I asked about it. Um, and again, just sort of spitballing, right? I didn't, I didn't have a fixed idea. But I thought, I wonder if it's, um, you wouldn't have a, a, like a story arc, right? You'd lose some teleology, right? Um, your, your life wouldn't be a starting here, ending up there, and, mm-hmm. and it all yeah, that'd fits. Yeah, that'd be true as well. Nice, yeah. nice yeah, into, yeah. you know, some kind of nice narrative about yourself. But I think, you know, for quite a few people, that's just true anyway, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the ones that make it onto the movies of the week are the, the people that, you know, started out one situation and wanted to be somewhere else and it wasn't obvious how to get there. And they worked and worked and worked and persevered. And, um, you know, then they made it. And, just, you know, they were the famous writer or a millionaire or whatever they wanted. Mm-hmm. And then they, they died having achieved the goal. But most lives, it, my experience, don't look much like that. No, that's, those, so the, those are just fictionalized. Kind of a rambling around yeah. anyway. Um yeah. So. Yeah, there's a great paper in the book that I that I mentioned, uh, exploring the philosophy of death of dying, by Benjamin Mitchell Yellen, where he talks about um, the title of the paper is something like "How to Live in a Never-Ending Novella" or something. So take like a soap opera or something, or a uh, or or a book series that just keeps going and going. Um, we don't we don't have a hard time conceiving a hard time conceiving of that. You could, I mean, it's not, in fact, think of some of the oral um, traditions, the oral histories of cultures that have just been passed down and passed down and continue to be modified and edited. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, you might think if, if you're the kind of person who's inclined to think of, um, pardon me, but some people do think this, of religions as myths, mm-hmm. then you see certain sorts of myths starting out at the beginning of history and just sort of being modified to, to, uh, adapt to the needs of human beings in the time in which they're living. Right, right, you know? right, yeah. And so, um, yeah, there, there might be, you know, some sort of alternate virtue of that. So you, you lose all the things that, that Nussbaum suggests that you lose, but then you get this kind of, you know, an eternity of myth-making sort mm-hmm. of experiences. Yeah, um, or never. Good. Yeah, so so I, I want to say about Newsbound before we move on, and also um, uh, writer David Beglin, who has a, a paper in the, the uh, book I was mentioning, that that it's part of the shapelessness is uh, contrast. So um, so there's this question of whether you can stand for anything, whether it really makes sense to say that you stand for anything, in if you're immortal. Um, because it's, you might think, okay, you pick out your values, the things that really matter to you. And some think that, okay, it's, it's because you've, you've picked a finite set of things out from among your other options to dedicate your passion to that really signifies that you care about that thing. Mm-hmm. And if, if at the end of the day I can take on every single issue because uh, I'm immortal, 
that then I'm not picking any out as unique or special. I'm not viewing them as any of them as worth worth my time, given that I don't have much time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This this reminds me of um, just the same kind of problem I said a moment ago. Do we want the hallmark of this sort of thing? Yeah. Something's um, you know my commitment to something's really great solely in virtue of I don't have the ability to commit similarly to other things. So, you know, everybody knows people that, that have stood for lots of things, right? They, mm-hmm. they move from cause to cause to cause. And that's an interesting narrative. You get to the end of life and, mm-hmm. life and you say, well, you know, I was saving the whales and then I was saving the, the rainforest mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. I was doing this and mm-hmm. that. Um, and that doesn't strike me as, as, you know, any less valuable than somebody who dug in and did a lot of great work for a single cause, you know, a, a life devoted to it. Um, but, you know, it seems like a, an eternity devoted to things. Um, might be really nice if you were sort of, by definition, passionate anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing that's, that's lurking behind the scenes with all of this is these discussions often get framed, um, and, and in part because, you know, we're, we're mortal creatures and we're, we're confronted with the question, mm-hmm. but they often get framed in terms of, would you want to be immortal? Would you choose it? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you looked at it a little differently, um, I think people's intuitions tend to be different. So suppose that you were immortal. Mm-hmm. Um, then you say, would, would that have to be bad, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm, if I'm picking it, um, again, you know, all of Williams' example with um, the Macropolis case, I might say, well, I, I can't desire somebody else's future. I know if I don't change, I'm going to get bored. That's not the kind of thing I could pick. Um, but if somebody said, okay, you're immortal, you're stuck with it, um, I would think people would think, all right, well, I can make the best of this. And, and how would I do that? Well, one, I'm not limited to a single story arc in my 80-year mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. history. Um, I can be interested in all sorts of things. You can learn to play more than just the bongos. Okay. Um, well, you're but, talking about me here. I don't know. But you can you can work on every cause, mm-hmm. um, you know, or or many causes for long periods of time. Uh, you know, you could. I mean, it's eternity, so who knows? You know, maybe the sort of Star Trek, um, you know, the next generation vision of the future is right, where we just get it perfectly right on Earth after 500 years and. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no wars and everything's peaceful and everything's mm. distributed nicely. There's no poverty. Mm. All the water's fresh. The technology's yeah. used for good. And then, of, of course, there they think, all right, so we better go out in space and F up some other stuff. Right. But <laughs> putting that aside, um, you know, what if, what if the vision of, of immortality is work as long as it takes to create utopia and then... Enjoy utopia. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I you know, as you were saying that, because I, I guess I've been thinking, and, and and a lot of the literature on this is very much grounded in this this Williams. Would you get bored? Would you become a different person? Kind of kind of stuff. Would you become this kind of amorphous, indistinguishable blob of yeah, you know, experiences? Uh, if everyone else is immortal too, indistinguishable from others. Uh, but when you bring that up um, and you say work toward utopia, I mean, the first thing I thought when you said, okay, but let's, let's say that you were immortal and you, you know, like how you just found yourself immortal. Not would you choose to become immortal, but you just found yourself immortal. Well, um, my first thought would be, I would feel like I was probably trapped in some sort of hell, 
because I mean, as much as I love my family and, you know, all this, uh, friends and, and job and such, um, I think the world is a miserable place and, uh, um, people are cruel and it's, uh, they're selfish and, mm-hmm. um, and they're ten, people tend to not be intellectually curious. And so they believe things that are harmful and you would just be, I mean, they don't learn from history. So you would just be watching human beings make the same stupid mistakes over and over and over again. And I'm not sure that I, uh, at any given time, you think, well, look how much progress we made, but you never know whether you're just in a wave of right. It's, it's an know, upper yeah. trend that's just going to dip back down because that's what we've done over and over again. I, so. I, I forgot to tell you when I was setting this up. Mm-hmm. We've already moved to Norway or Denmark or... No, I don't just mean the United States. I mean, I think human beings are awful. Sorry, uh, now that's on record. And <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm not convinced they're as awful as... <laughs> In some places, as as in others, uh-huh. um, hmm. yeah. But it's, I mean, it seems like historically we've had trends of you know mass genocide, and it's not just like this is just happening in the United States: enslaving people, committing acts of mass genocide, totalitarianism, fascism. Mm-hmm. You know, just dips and waves of really, really, really bad stuff. And I, you, you would think you've just become jaded and tired and ready to go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It it depends on when your immortality starts, right? So if the Star Trek story is right, and uh-huh. you know you, you pop in ten years before Utopia, that 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 seems preferable. Seems to... like assuming human beings can achieve Utopia. Yeah. Or their 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 uh, human nature doesn't prevent it. All right. Suppose that global warming wipes out everybody on the planet, but our immediate family. Um, but eventually. Um, Dolphins and um, polar bears and deer learn to talk. Oh, that sounds lovely. Dogs? And dogs, yeah. All right. Some okay. dogs. I'm sold. Not not yappy dogs. You know, then, <laughs> then it's better. Um, so I want to just bring up something completely irrelevant to all of this, but not irrelevant to immortality. Okay. Um, the episode, this kind of goes back to something you were saying earlier, right? The different conceptions of it. We were watching Curb Your Enthusiasm the other night, one of the early series um, early seasons in the series. It might have been season four. So Larry and Cheryl are going to renew their vows, mm-hmm. right? And um, so he, you know, says all this stuff about her, and it's great. He loves her. They're happy, blah, blah, blah. And she says, I'm going to be with you for eternity. And he's like, no, no, no. Death do us part, right? <laughs> so he'd had this, this sort of clear conception of death, right? <laughs> that death happens at a certain time. There's something, there's an afterlife. There's something after death that he's looking forward to. <laughs> but the deal he made with, with his wife was married up until death, right? He didn't envision, you know, so his conception of immortality, if it's that, that immortality you were describing earlier where, you know, some non-physical part of you lives on but has consciousness, after the physical body dies, um, it, it didn't involve um, Cheryl David. So, hey, why are you bringing this up, man? <laughs> <laughs> um, no reason. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, I was going to throw it in your face, right? So, so this, you know, nasty, misanthropic, um, you know, story that you're telling about all of humanity being horrible and you, you can't take an eternity of it uh-huh. um, makes, makes me feel like, um, you know, that you don't see us happy for eternity <laughs> no. on that on that model 
together. So, that, that, you know, no matter how good I get at the ukulele and <laughs> no matter, um, you know, how tasty my sourdough bread gets and so forth, there's, there's some point no. where you're just like, I can't take it. There's <laughs> too many okay. freaking anti-vaxxers out there. There's... This part is amusing. Okay, but I, I'm going to have to uh, nip it in, in the bud because uh, I was picturing a world in which I was immortal and nobody else was. I would hope so that you, you wouldn't. Oh, my, how selfish. No, no. I mean, but a lot of these stories are like that. Like, they're all they're, like that, right? When it's you're always... talking about it, it's like, would you make the individual choice or you just right. find yourself immortal? The Macropolis case, um, there is one elixir and yeah, um, yeah, M gets it. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. and I, I was trying to like rule out the choice component, but just like maybe someone force fed you the elixir and you just find yourself immortal. Right. But, I, you know, so maybe if, if you want to attribute to people... Um, a general trend toward striving to be better, which I honestly, at this point, I don't know that I do attribute that to people. But if you do, um, then then maybe if everyone was immortal, we could realistically achieve utopia because everyone was trying. Uh, yeah. You know, everyone was, you know, uh, if you if you stipulate the existence of these immortal beings who are curious, mm-hmm. right, then they're, they're always trying to be better, trying to learn. But well, I think what we find is that individual beings, most of the time, present company excluded and listeners excluded, I'm sure, because why would you be listening to this podcast if you felt this way? And I think unless most... you're one of those troglodytes that likes football, is mm-hmm. religious, or plays the bongo drums. <laughs> but I think I, I don't know how, how curious I think the average person is. Yeah. So uh. that, that's the test, right? Um, you, you take people you know, to the library, <laughs> and then you say, what is this place? And if they don't know... They, they don't get to be immortal. And if they do know, but they don't really give a crap about it, they still don't get to be immortal, <laughs> right? Um, and if they go to the romance novels, they don't get to be immortal. But, you know, you you, you grab, our, say, our new book on conspiracy theories coming out in June. Ooh, nice talk. Off, off the shelf. Um, <laughs> and then you're like, all right, you're, you're, you're coming right along. Okay. That, that plug seems like a good place to end it. Yeah. Okay, Rach, what are we liking this week? Ah, uh, well, um, we went to see Spider-Man No Way Home. Which is in the theaters, maybe the last time for some long period of time. I was very uncomfortable. The movie was so much fun that I soon forgot, but I, you know... People are buying tickets for it like hotcakes. There aren't any um, COVID res- you know, restrictions here. So anyway, we won't go into all that. But <laughs> but yeah, I think we won't be seeing a the- movie in the theater for a while. But it, if we were going to see one last one, that was a good one to see. We really enjoyed that. That was good. And for those of you sort of philosophically minded, um, there's interesting multiverse stuff there. Um, just layer upon layer of interesting multiverse mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. But especially... Um, you know, something that, that I think is novel, which is, um, or, or mostly novel anyway, there, there might have been some other instances of it, but having a multiverse involving different franchises of the, the same character, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to think, you know, like there's no Batman where George Clooney and Michael Keaton are all mm-hmm. there. Um, I, I started to say it's completely novel, and then I remembered... Um, into the Spider-Verse, right? Which had mm-hmm. some multiverse sure. stuff and mm-hmm. some of that might have um, had some overlap. But, but there was some suspense. You had, you know, uh, there's some fourth wall breaking a little bit, but we, we shouldn't talk. 
Yeah, no, I just want to say that, that it, it seemed like um, it was cool metaphysics meeting cool aesthetics. Yeah. And, uh-huh. and that alone made me love it, although I, I loved it. It was, it was yeah. fun throughout. Uh, probably my favorite part had to do with how they tackled mental health, which is just glaring. I won't say how, but, you know, some of these issues are just glaring when you think about them um, in past in past movies. And also, uh, um, went over in a way that you haven't seen from, or I haven't seen, maybe people are aware of it and I'm just not aware of it, from other kind of superhero movies, kind of the idea of the ethics of beating the shit out of people, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, like, I, whoever they are, you know? I mean, the, one thing that you just kind of watch in an action sequence is the, the, the Avengers just beating people and sometimes beating people to death, yeah. right? And and that's, it's never addressed like, oh, look at all this violence. Is this violence really necessary or the way to deal with problems or whatever? I'd so, like to see if you can practice what you preach. So... When you gain that immortality and really start hating humanity even more than you already do, and it goes on for millions of years, um, let, let's see if you can resist. If I can refrain the, from right. beating the crap out of people. All right. So um, we mentioned earlier in the episode, curb your enthusiasm, um, and that's come up for us recently because the eleventh season just ended and it was really good, and so we thought it'd be fun to revisit um, all the earlier seasons. So mm-hmm. we're right in the middle of season. Five, which I think puts us exactly at the halfway point. Oh, such a fun show. And it's it's been a hoop. Watching them all in a row rather than spread out over, you know, um, nearly 20 years really drives home just how formulaic they all are. But what's great about it is doesn't, you know, the, the formula is really good. And you don't think, oh, they're doing this again. They're doing that again. <clears throat> it's almost like a personal challenge to them to use that formula in interesting, novel um, and creative ways. Yeah. That, that sounded bad. Um, that's our dog knocking <laughs> stuff over. So, um, yeah, that, that's been really good. We started watching um, Z, the beginning of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about Zelda Fitzgerald. And uh, I've been meaning to watch it for a while because I was sort of in a Hemingway, Fitzgerald, like, phase uh, a few years ago. And was all over the internet looking things up about these people. And I thought, oh, it's got uh, Christina Ricci. And so we're, we're a little ways in, which is, it's pretty good. I mean, it, it's a little bit, um, I don't know how to say, uh, fluffy right now. Like yeah. it's, um, but I'm hoping that when it gets to a later stages in their life, I mean, I can't help but to be more interesting because, you know, they're just barely meeting each other and stuff at this stage. Yeah, it's around. early love story kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, pretty fun. I, I wonder if lots of people are sort of revisiting the Lost Generation um, at this point in time, right? I mean, it, a lot of the things people were feeling, you know, during the Roaring Twenties with capitalism and consumerism just mm-hmm. completely out of control when mm-hmm. there was so much poverty, especially, you know, right before the Great Depression, um, they, you know, that led to those writers to just talk about, you know, meaningless mm-hmm. and despair with you know, in the face of this just sort of ugly opulence. Mm-hmm. And then here we are with, you know, billionaires going to outer space while hospitals are turning people away, right? It, um, I don't know. If it, the Lost Generation is resonating with me mm-hmm. right now like crazy. Don't forget, boozing it up and doing nothing. Yeah, and boozing <laughs> it up and doing nothing. Um, and then sometimes dancing 
when you booze it up. So that's good. Okay, great show. Um, I heard about and then kind of forgot about, and then all of a sudden it was on. Um, the Landscapers. This is probably our most significant um, um, recommendation. At, right. To be followed by our least significant recommendation <laughs> in a moment. But yeah, um, Olivia Coleman, you know, I haven't seen her in anything where I didn't think, oh my God, this is like the best actress of her generation. <laughs> yeah, she's um, great. Yeah, and so if, um, I don't want to spoil even one little bit of this, um, but if you're interested in things that are good, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's um, on HBO, so you can get it on HBO Max, and it'll probably be in other places soon. It's a, I think, was it six part or eight part? Six part, I believe. Um, one off miniseries. But man, absolutely fantastic. And some of the most creative filmmaking, um, the mm -hmm. creative storytelling, right? I mean, just, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not just a great story with great performances. It's, it's very artistic, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. completely satisfying. Okay. And then we, then we said the, the, the least of the recommendations. Um, I don't even know if I can recommend this. It's, it's just pure guilty pleasure. <gasps> We're both history buffs. So we watched um, Roman Empire on Netflix, which, you know, tells um, not the story of the entire empire, but they picked out three parts. So there was one on Julius Caesar and one on Caligula and one on um, Commodus. And it it's the history of that. It kind of looks like a History Channel production. Mm -hmm. They're telling you the strategies. They're interviewing, the they're interviewing experts and historians. Actual and historians and stuff. And then it's interspersed with what can only be described as really, really, really bad softcore porn. Yeah, it's just totally we, we were, You know, when we put it on, we're like, you know, it's not like we heard this about it or anything, and that motivated our decision. We're just like, oh, let's watch some stuff about the Roman Empire, and then, you know, it's like it's like if you're watching a, you know, a, a true crime story in the cut scene where they have the actors acting things out, we're just softcore porn. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> it's but, weird. but then they, then let's go back to the, you know, the um, professor of classics from NYU to tell us a little bit more I, about Marcus Aurelius. There's this. <laughs> <laughs> one point where there was a history professor who was speaking it was a you know female professor just expressing a point about Commodus I mean this was the first part where it happened in the show that I was just like oh my goodness where her voice you know she was talking making some perfectly you know non-scandalous point about the and then and then there's Commodus you know in some threesome <laughs> something mm -hmm. like well 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 with her voice over top of it saying something that had nothing to do with that like oh dear <laughs> i wonder if she knows that that's what her voice is gonna yeah and, and, and weird porn music but played on instruments that they only would have had in, in ancient rome and anyway so this is a great place to end um the, the season and the episode so um yeah go watch spider-man rewatch curb Probably watch Z. Definitely watch the landscapers. Um, don't watch Roman Empire <laughs> and, unless you really like history or really like softcore porn. <laughs>
Um, should be a lot of fun, and um, you know, visit our social media for, for more on that um, and the release date. Uh, thank you for listening, and um, if you want to support I Think Therefore I Fan, go to our webpage. That's IThinkThereforeIFan.com, and um, click on the link that says Donate, and then you can become one of our um, Patreon sponsors. So see ya in a few months.